All right, thanks, Scott, and thanks the kids. Hopefully, we've all got a bit of a visual now of the story. Um, we're going to work through it and um, look at what Hezekiah, what this story means for us and the kids have got their packs to hopefully follow along and get something out of it as well. So we good? If I say Hezekiah, does everyone still Good. I don't think I'm going to say the king's name because I don't want to get booed while I'm up here. That's going to be a bit awkward. Um, so over the sort of first, uh, over February, we've been looking at this story of King Hezekiah um, in the Second Chronicles, and we've been following through this um, theme of renewal that Hezekiah sort of takes his people on. His father Ahaz was one of the most evil kings uh, in sort of the Jewish Israelite history. And somehow Hezekiah comes and follows on from that and immediately turns it around. It said in the first week we looked at how um, it said in the first month of his reign, he went to the temple and he opened the doors which had been closed by his father. And, and then we looked at how there's this incredible cleansing and consecrating that goes on. Uh, there's a physical element where they open the temple, they repair it, they remove the idols, uh, but there's also this really spiritual renewal, this sense of the people coming back to God. Um, the Passover is reinstituted, the priests are organized. There's this incredible generosity of the people who sort of respond to what God is doing. And there's this sense that God is doing something amazing amongst them. Time and time again, there's these phrases of there was joy, there was gladness, there was worship. There's even a line in the chapters where it says that um, they had not seen days like this since David and Solomon, which is, you know, a few hundred years ago, that this was like a unique period where God was at work. But the stories that we've looked at so far probably only cover maybe the first year or two of Hezekiah's reign. And then we get like nothing told until we hit this story, um, which is actually in year 14. The story is also told in 2 Kings, 2 Kings 18 and 19. We get the exact same story, but slightly different. And in that story, it says that this is year 14 of his reign. So for 14 years, we haven't got much information except this little summary, this little summary of Hezekiah and his life. Uh, in chapter 31, at the end, in, chap- in verse 20, where it says, Thus Hezekiah did all throughout all Judah, and he did what was right and good and faithful before the Lord his God. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God, in accordance with the law and the commandments, seeking his God, he did with all of his heart, and he prospered. And I just thought, what a beautiful, wonderful summary of life. Like, this is over, like, if you, the writer's trying to summarize, like, 14 years. And he says, this is what Hezekiah did. He was faithful, he was good in the service of God, and he did it with all of his heart. There was no sort of foot in both camps sort of thing. He just went after it. And I love that. And then we get verse chapter 32 where it starts, After these things and these acts of faithfulness, Senna, the king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. Boo. All right? So here comes this, I guess, this test, this trial, this struggle, this challenge, where it sort of seems like for 14 years things have gone relatively well. God's been at work, it's been good things happening, 
They've seen a turnaround. They've seen change. They've seen God provide. They've seen the people respond. And then it comes this challenge, which I'm sure we could all relate to. Um, All of us have these challenges in our lives, these trials, these tests. I mean, think of any character in the Bible. Every character in the Bible has this moment. This time of testing, this challenge, whether it's Abraham who has his son and is immediately tested, whether it's Moses waiting in the wilderness being tested, whether it's King David, you know, who gets anointed as king and then spends the next several years on the run fearing for his life, this test, this trial. Even Jesus himself was drawn into the wilderness to be tested, to be tempted by the enemy. All of us have this. So it's not really an if we'll be tested, but really a when. And really this morning what we want to look at in the story of Hezekiah is when that testing comes, what do we do? Where do we, find, where do we place our trust? What do we believe in? And how do we see God work? And really my prayer this morning is that we'll just be reminded that we aren't alone. We'll be reminded that, that God is with us and that we can have confidence and trust in Him and that He will bring the ultimate victory. So to quickly recap the story in case you got lost in some of the amazing acting that we had. Assyria has been sort of on the doorstep of Judah for years. They've wiped out pretty much the entire world of the time. And Hezekiah works to fortify the city. He fortifies Jerusalem, he builds up the walls, he prepares the people. Pretty much most of the country has probably taken refuge in Jerusalem and Hezekiah encourages them to be strong. And then probably in a typical sort of warfare fashion, the king of Assyria sends out some messengers. Usually those messages would go to sort of negotiate some terms or some, um, you know, peace deal or something. But the Assyrians are a little bit different. They go out and they go out to taunt and to mock and to frighten and to terrify the people, to try and shake them before this impending battle. And we're going to look at in a moment how the people responded to that, which we get in 2 Kings. They actually respond resolute, defiant, and trusting God. And then Hezekiah goes to Isaiah, the prophet. They pray, they cry out to God, and then God causes this massive confusion amongst the Syrians. Uh, They start fighting each other, they fight these other people, and then they return home in shame. And the Jews live for another probably 100 years in safety before the Babylonians come and wipe them out again, which is another story. Now, it's, it's an incredible story, but just a quick thing and a quick note for us when we're reading Old Testament stories and trying to interpret them for us is this story is not there for us to place ourselves in the shoes of Hezekiah and go, well, if I just do what Hezekiah did, God will do what he did then. We need to look at the big picture of the Bible and look at, okay, what are the lessons, the values, the principles that we learn from this story that align with the rest of Scripture and then what, how do we apply them to our lives? Just a really important note for us, because I think the temptation can be, well, if I just do what Hezekiah did, if I go and I tear my clothes, cry out to God, he will just respond and cause all my problems to disappear. That's not quite what this story is in the Bible to teach us about. And we're going to hopefully learn a few things this morning that I think line up with the rest of Scripture and will be important for us moving forward. So three things I want us to look at, three questions really to ask. 
Question one, where is our confidence found? Question two, what do we do in the face of opposition? And then question three, what does victory in God look at? We good to go with that? We're on board? Very good. All right, so first one, where is our confidence found? Um, it's important to sort of understand a bit of the context of Assyria and Judah. Um, I think we've got a picture here of that yellow part is the Assyrian Empire. And uh, it's really tiny, but there's like a little, I think it's orange. I'm a little bit not good with colours. Um, there's a little part there that's Judah and Jerusalem's in there. So, horribly outnumbered. Like, they do not stand a chance, really. When you think of Assyria's taken over, like, all this part of the world, they're in control. Um, the best sort of image I could think of, of course, was Lord of the Rings. Um, if you think of the Battle of Helm's Deep, where they're standing out on the walls and there's just this massive army of orcs. I think we've got, like, a bit of a photo um, it's really dark, you can't see it. But hopefully you've seen the movie. If not, that's your homework for the long weekend. Um, watch all three. What better thing to do? Um, you know, and there's these soldiers standing on the wall and there's just, just lines and lines and lines of their enemies. Horribly outnumbered. But yet, it says that the people found confidence in what Hezekiah said. That the people were strengthened and encouraged by the words that Hezekiah shared to them. So I want to look at those words quickly, which are pretty familiar if you know, we see them all throughout Scripture. In verse 7, it says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. Now if you pause there for a moment, you go, hang on a minute. That's not true. <laughs> There is a lot more with them than with us. The numbers do not add up. We are way out of our depth. We are, you know, way outmatched. But if you continue in verse 8, this is what Hezekiah says. He sees things differently because of his faith. He says, with him, with them is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. What Hezekiah is saying is, Lining up with all the scripture, we see these, these words are said to Moses, to Joshua, David has them. Jesus reminds us at the end of his life, you know, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. Hezekiah is saying, okay, there might be more numbers with them physically. But there is more with us because God is with us. And it might sound super simple. You might think, yeah, okay, I got that, I know that, I've heard that before. That's a bit cliche. But it's true. And whenever we're looking out over our struggles, over our battles, the tests and the trials that we face, we might be out of our depth. We might be outmatched, outnumbered. But we need to know that the Lord our God is with us. The one who can help us. The one who can fight our battles. And all throughout scripture we see this combination of words. And you know it's always a combination. It is always... Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, be strong and courageous. That's like the encouragement. And then there's the sort of the truth of the Lord your God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. It's that combination that is key for us. To be strong and courageous, to not be afraid, to not be dismayed, we need to know that the Lord our God is with us. 
That is how we go forward. That is how we face these tests and trials. I love it in Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. A key verse for us to remember this morning. For God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. There's a verse for us to memorize this morning, to lock into our minds and to remember. It's that God has said this, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you. Therefore, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear. What can man do to me? And it's one thing to read that on a screen. It's one thing to hear that. But do we believe that deep down? Do we trust in that? Do we place our confidence in what God has said? Knowing that he is with us. You know, and what I love about the story of Hezekiah is that he had done the work. He had made the fortifications. He had built up the walls. He had deployed the soldiers. He had done the work, but his trust was not in what he had done. His trust was still in God is with us. We're not going to depend on the arm of flesh. We're not going to depend on the things that we've done, but we're going to rely on God who is with us, who can help us and fight our battles. It's really just a challenge for us to think about who do we trust in? Where is our confidence found? What do we really think will get us through in the challenges that we face? And my prayer is that simply we would each leave today with that confidence, with that assurance. You know, in verse 8, it says that the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah. This original word for confidence, some translations say encouraged um, or strengthened. Um, The original word also has this sense of um, to brace yourself upon. To brace yourself, like what, what is you bracing yourself, like what's holding you up? You know, we had youth group here on Friday night and uh, we had a little team challenge where they had to prop someone up off the ground using only balloons. So, you know, if you lie down on one balloon, it'll pop or it'll get really annoying and it doesn't pop and keeps moving out of the way. But most likely if you put all your weight on one balloon, it'll pop. But if you get like 25 balloons and somehow like corral them together and then get someone like Chris to lie on top of it. Did you touch the ground, Chris? No. It was in the air. None of the balloons popped because there was enough there to sort of brace him, to hold him up. And so I guess for us in our faith, is it strong enough to sort of hold us up when we put all of our weight upon it? When we really go, you know what? I've got nothing else to turn to. Is what you're turning to strong enough to hold you up? Like I said, it's not, it's not a matter of if. There will be trials. There will be challenges in our life. And when that moment forces us to sort of put our faith in something, to trust something, is that something strong enough? And I believe that the only thing strong enough for us to go through this life is the faith and assurance that our God is with us, that he never leaves us, he never forsakes us, that his love and his grace is enough and that he has conquered all evil and will bring about that one day in the end. 
like we sang this morning, that it is well with my soul. Can you say that? Like, can you believe that and trust that, you know what, no matter what comes, that there is peace and that it is well with my soul? You see, our trials and our tests simply reveal our foundations. The storms will come and they will reveal whether you've built your, your house on the sand or on, on the rock. The storms of life will reveal your foundation. Is your foundation in Jesus and do you know it enough that you can withstand those storms? That we can place our trust in him and be confident and assured. And the way that we do that is by listening to the right voice, by listening to the truth of our king and not the lies of our enemy. So the second thing, what do we do in the face of opposition? As we saw in our story, the king of Assyria, he sends his servants to go and taunt the people uh, to test their resolve. Verse 18, they shouted it with a loud voice in the language of Judah. It's interesting, in the, story, in the second king's version of the story, uh, they asked them, hey, can you speak in um, Aramaic? Can you speak in the language that only the leaders understand and we'll report the message back? And they're like, no, we're going to speak in the language of Judah so everyone can understand. This wasn't a message for the king. This was a way to try and shake the whole people, the whole country, to frighten, to terrify them in order that they may take the city. And if you listen carefully and if you read carefully the words that they said, um, they're not just taunts, but in a way they're temptations. Temptations to trust in something else. They sort of say, hey, is... I'm pretty sure Hezekiah is misleading you. Are you sure you can trust him? Or they say, um, look, what makes you different from the other nations? We have wiped out the entire world. Their gods have not saved them. What makes you different? It's a temptation to trust something else. Or even at the end, they sort of say, hey, look, let's make peace. We'll let you live for a while, and then you can come live with us. And you know, our land is flowing with milk and honey as well, so... You can just come and live with us and we all find. It's a temptation to trust in someone else. And I'm sure we can think of our own lives, the, own, uh, the, the voices that we hear each and every day that are tempting us to trust in something else. Can you recognize them? Can you pick them? Can you discern them in your life? But what I want to focus on is how the people responded, which we see in in 2 Kings. In chapter 18 at verse 35, it's thought of the end of the taunts. And then verse 36, as soon as they finish, it says this. But the people were silent, and they answered him not a word, for the king's command was do not answer him. I love that. The people were resolute. They were defiant in their trust obeying their king and in turn is trusting God. Now, like I said before, we can't sort of read this story and think, okay, well, that's then what we should do. If anyone sort of taunts or mocks, we just remain silent and we trust that, you know, God will sort it out one day. I personally would love that. (laughs) It's a lot easier. But that's not what this story... We can't just place ourselves in the stories that we like and go well, actually, I like that one. Let's be silent and not respond to any of the criticism, any of the mocking, and we'll just just be quiet and let God deal with it one day. 
It might be true, but later on we see Jesus comes. He says, when you're dragged before the councils, when you're persecuted, what do you say? My spirit will give you the words to say. So we have to look at the whole of scripture in terms of how do we respond. And I guess for me, what this story teaches us is that we need to obey the king. What has the king said? And how do we obey him in the face of opposition? And the reality is God has told us many things of how to respond to suffering, how to respond to the trials and the tests in our lives. Um, I didn't have time to sort of put uh, every verse word for word, but uh, I think we've got some references here that I'll just whip through some of them and you can take a photo or take a note and uh, look at them during the week. But this is what God says for us in terms of responding to trials and tests in our lives. Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. That God has given us armor, God has, God has given us things to stand firm. James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. In Romans 3, Paul says the same thing. More than that, rejoice in our sufferings. It's meant to be a joy and a rejoicing in the battles, the trials that we face, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, endurance, perseverance, character, all that. In 1 Peter, it says, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial that you face. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. As meant, when we're feeling weak, when we're feeling like we don't have enough, that's a moment for us to boast, knowing that God's grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Also, in the start of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, The Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we ourselves have received. This sense that God comforts us in our struggle. Not just that we might have comfort, but that also we may then comfort others. Once again in James, blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. They were called to remain steadfast, to stand firm. We see that all throughout Scripture. Romans 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Once again, a sense of joy. Once again, this patience, waiting through the test, constantly praying. May we be people that when it comes to our struggles and our suffering, we listen more to the voice of our King than we do to the voices around us. Because if you think about our world at the moment, particularly our culture, a problem comes and it is a voice of despair, a voice of fear, a voice of sort of, let's go buy all the toilet paper because what else are we going to do? You know, it's a voice that is freaking out and doesn't know what to do. And yet the voice of our king is actually... Stand firm, trust, be constant in prayer, rejoice in the suffering, knowing that God is in it and through it all. So that's how the people respond to their struggle. What about Hezekiah? What do we read of Hezekiah when he did? What did he do straight away? 
It says, as soon as King Hezekiah heard the messengers, he tore his clothes, he covered himself in sackcloth, and he went into the house of God. Or in Chronicles, we read that he went, got Isaiah, and they prayed and they cried out to heaven. Hezekiah's first response is to turn to God and pray, to humble himself and to cry out to God. And I just, it doesn't need much explanation. I just want that to be me, that my first response would be to turn to God. Yet for me, it's often like maybe fifth, sixth, tenth thing in line. I'll try and look after myself better or I'll try and get a good night's sleep or I'll try and do all these things before I actually stop and turn to God and pray. You know, the other week I was in, I was in New South Wales and um, it, I'd been there in December and then I was there sort of, what, late Feb. And the difference in landscape was incredible. In December it was all dry, you know, burnt from the fires, smoky, ash everywhere. And then I went end of Feb and it's green, it's lush, things have regrown and it was like, it was incredible and I was thinking this week like, I wonder how much of that is because the church around Australia committed to praying for rain and relief. Whereas like our world would just go, oh, climate's changing and you know, things like that and we try and deconstruct some of the spiritual side to it. But like, think about it. like churches all across Australia and probably all over the world have committed to praying for rain and relief following on for the bushfires. I'm going to be bold and say I believe that God heard and answered. But how long did it take for us to get there? Is it the challenge for me? How long did it take for us to actually stop and go, actually, let's cry out to God and let's pray? You know, when someone shares a situation, you know, I've, I've got a sore back. Why is it that if someone stops and goes, well, let's pray for that, and lifts up both hands and says, okay, we go, we pray for him. Why does that seem weird? Like for us, of course it's weird if you don't believe in Jesus and God and stuff. But for me, like that happened the other week, real situation. And I just like, oh, that's a bit different. But why isn't that the norm? That our first response, we hear a situation and go, oh, let's pray. Not in some token gesture that like this is the right thing to do, but in this sense that actually we believe that God can hear, answer, change the situation. And actually we know that he's the one to turn to and to trust him. And this is something I need for my life. Monday I felt like super overwhelmed about life. There was so much going on. I was like, oh man, I can't deal. And it wasn't until like, mid-Tuesday where like someone shared a devotion about prayer and I was like oh yeah that would be good to pray about immediately like not the situation didn't change but like something changed within me I was reminded again actually yeah this is I'm a child of God I can trust in the Father I can turn to him we need to be aware that around us our world operates completely differently like Hezekiah says with them is an arm of flesh They've got the armies, they've got all the systems in play. But with us is the Lord our God who helps us and fights our battles. And may we turn to him in obedience. May we turn to him in prayer. 
So lastly then, what does victory in God look like then for us? What I love in verse 22, it says, So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Senna, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all his enemies. And he provided for them on every side. See, the reason we can stand firm, the reason we can trust God and turn to him in prayer is because he comes through. He's faithful God forever. Like, just think of the story of the Bible. Just think of how many people go through hardship. Just look at every family in the Bible that are just messed up. They're murdering each other. They're, you know, it's just a mess. There's enemies against them nonstop. There's hardship. There's disobedience. There's injustice. There's suffering. And yet all throughout the scriptures we see God weaving his plan and his will and working all things together for good for those who love him. All throughout. That's what God does. He saves and he provides. See, it was one thing to sort of, like God didn't do like a half saving. He didn't just stop the battle and say, okay, the Assyrians, like that would have been one thing. But God made sure that the Assyrians returned home so that they had peace and safety on all borders for the rest of Hezekiah's reign. He, he saved and he provided. He did the whole job. You know, and maybe for some of us, we're crying out to God for him to change our situation and to break through in some sort of way and, and we feel that pain all the time. But maybe God isn't ending it straight away because he's not just saving, but he's also providing something for the future. This is not just about this moment, but maybe there's more ahead that God isn't. He's not just going to pluck you out because like we've been looking at, he's doing this work of renewal. He's restoring us, renewing us, not just for our moments here on earth, but for our eternity with him in heaven. That God sees the entire big picture and wants to make us new. It's what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we do not look to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. We don't have time to unpack each and every part of that now, but it's just this simple reminder that what if God is doing more in our struggle than we realize? In our test and in our trial, he's not just thinking about this moment, but he's preparing us for the eternal weight of glory. And so though externally it might look like it's all going terrible, What if internally God can be renewing us and restoring us in a way that is far greater than we can ever imagine? See, God is not just saving us from this world and our sin and our struggle, but he's saving us like to his kingdom. And that kingdom is one that's here now in glimpse and one day will be here in its completeness. 
And we need to realize that we are being renewed and restored for that. Not just from something, but also to his kingdom. And so that is why we continue to pray. That's why we continue to obey, knowing that God will renew and restore us as we do that. But it's also important to make it very clear that we cry out to God and we turn to him in a way that he can turn around those situations. He can miraculously intervene. And I think it's important. I was like, just on Friday, I was like reading through my message. I'm like, actually, hang on a minute. (laughs) All that's true, but it's also true that God can intervene and miraculously interrupt a situation and turn it for good and turn it for his plan and his purpose. And so we do cry out with that hope and that expectation that God can and sometimes chooses to miraculously turn around a situation. But we also hold that in balance with this sense that God will, if it doesn't quite work out how we hope, he will continue to renew and to restore and to continue to reveal his eternal plan. And that's in terms a paradox, but it's also the journey of faith, to trust both things that seemingly don't make sense, but to hold on to God who does both. And we ultimately, like we see that in the cross, the most evil act of history, God's perfect son literally like murdered unjustly, innocent and yet put to death. The most cruel act is not outside of the hand of God. God still weaves his plan. God still works his will, even though like externally it looks like that's all gone wrong. The people at the cross have been crying out like, why? Why did you let this happen? And yet we see that in that moment that God is working a bigger picture for all of us to be redeemed and to be restored. In Colossians 3.15 it says that God has disarmed our enemies and he's put them to shame by triumphing them over the cross. That the cross is our assurance that God has defeated our enemies and also a foretaste of that he will completely destroy. And so just like Hezekiah for us and the people of Judah, we trust that for us, God will one day save completely, provide on every side, that we will be in the city of God, safe and secure forever. That is the future picture that this story teaches us. That one day, all of our enemies will be destroyed. Every tear wiped away. Every reason to mourn will be dealt with. And God will provide his total abundance forever for us to enjoy. With him as king and with all of his people gathered. And until then, we trust and we hold on. And we know that our king has come and that he is destroyed And he's given us a taste of that victory here and now through the cross. That we can have joy and hope and peace because of this relationship we have with him. Knowing that he's always with us, that he never leaves and never forsakes. And so this morning I want to just encourage us. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. 
I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. And that would be my prayer this morning, that we would make that resolve within us, that no matter what comes my way, if there's tests and there's trials, I will follow these waves that throw me against the rock of ages. That I'll turn to Jesus again and again and trust him and hold on to him, knowing that he is good, that he is faithful, and that his love endures forever. So we're going to finish by singing this song. And I, I, once again, it's not just a token thing that we do to finish a service nice and cleanly. Let's sing this song. I want to encourage us that we'd sing this song with this almost this prayer-like intensity that we would ask God to strengthen our trust. The words say this, Overwhelmed, but I won't break. Through the battle, I, always, I will say your grace will be enough. Under fire, but we won't fall. We will never be alone. You'll always be enough. So now in God we trust, in his name we hope, and I know God will not be shaken. He is here with us, and he's already one. May that be our prayer and our hope as we go through this morning and into this week, that we know our God will not be shaken and we can trust in him. Amen.